This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. The Straits of Malacca is one of the world's most important waterways in the world, commanding 30% of global maritime traffic, being the main passage between the Pacific and Indian Oceans. A beneficiary of this is Listed Westport, a key transshipment port in Malaysia. Dato' Ruben Ganalingam joins us to discuss their strategy for growth and if their hub status is threatened by competing regional ports and even proposed projects. Thank you for coming on The Breakfast Grill again, Ruben. Now, let's start with the latest headlines of this proposed land bridge that is supposed to provide a new trade route between the Indian and Pacific Ocean that allows for the bypass of the Straits of Malacca. It's a pet project of the new Thai Prime Minister, Swita Thavisin. Are you worried? Um, in short, I'm, I'm not worried. First thing to clarify is this is a land bridge, not a canal. When it comes to logistics, I think there are two very important factors people need to take into account. First is logistics, you have to try and save as much time as you can, number one. Number two, you have to try and save as much cost as you can. Now, when we speak to our customers uh, about this land bridge, they don't think it will save time, okay. nor do they think it will save costs. But I've seen some reports saying that it will save four days of travel and reduce costs by 15%. It will save four days of sea travel, okay. but you're going to add another five to six days of land travel. Right, so, so you have to put all those things into account and therefore the time savings won't actually be there from a time perspective. So that's what I'm saying. When, for, when, and this is based on feedback from our customers. They're like, how do you actually save time? Because if the ship has to dock there and drop mm. all the boxes there um, and then rail it across the other side and then put it back into another ship on the other side, that's at least six days' worth of, of, of operations alone. Mm. So any time savings that were proposed will not be there. The canal, on the other hand, would have had time savings because you just sailed through, to yeah. be really fair. But this is not a canal, this is a land bridge. And therefore, the operation time will actually take longer than, than actually the sailing time. And then when it comes to costs, um, you're going to need two ships, on one on each side, number one. You're going to, need, you're going to pay the, the, the charges of dropping the box on one side, railing the box on the other side, putting the box on, on, on top of another ship on the mm. other side. All, I mean, there are costs to all of this. And I don't think Thailand is proposing to do this for free. And therefore, the cost for this will have to be added on as well. And the cost of doing this per box is a lot more uh, expensive than actually just sailing across. Okay. And from an environmental perspective, you can imagine you're doing three times the work as opposed to just sailing across. Now, when you move cargo, the more, the more cargo you move in, in, in a particular vehicle, whether it's a ship, etc., etc., the more boxes you can do, the, the lower your footprint becomes. Of course, a 20,000 TU vessel will always take on more than any train in the world. No mm. train can take on 20,000 TUs. And therefore, the environmental impact to this, even though it's by rail, when you compare with sea, the environmental impact is also going to be very, very high. So from a cost perspective, from a time perspective, from a sustainability perspective, um, actually none of the customers are very excited about it. Even then, Westport does have other competitors. Of course, you're the port of Singapore being the primary one, but there are also near-term threats of hubs in Vietnam and Jakarta which have emerged, right? But are you concerned about the competition from Vietnam and Jakarta? Because I see some big money being poured to uh, Vietnam especially. You've got the DP World Group of UAE, the... Um, going to be in Ho Chi Minh City. We've got, of course, PSA. So I think in in um, Vietnam, uh, a lot of the port utilization there is mo mostly for the local cargo. Mm. They're expanding so fast, you know, um, that country, 
that they, you know, they, they need more ports to ex- export. I mean, when I first went there, I think they did 2 million TUs. Now they're probably doing 15 million TUs. So all this development they're doing there, I think a lot of it is to support their local market. They probably will do some transshipment as well, but I don't think that there's a primary goal. Uh, the primary goal is actually just to make sure that the f- cargo flow to and from Vietnam is actually done very, very well. Uh, would they be competing? I think they probably would be for, to a certain extent. But as I said, I think the transshipment in this region is going to grow in various, various ways. Mm. And, and I think we have to evolve along those lines and, and make sure that we are still as efficient as we can be. And I think what my dad always used to say is it's very easy to build a port, but it's not very easy to build a hub. Right, you know, it takes a lot of ingredients to take to get that. We even ourselves, we we took I think twelve, fifteen years to make into a hub. To, to build a port, you get a construction company, you build, you buy some cranes, and you're a port. To build a hub, you need a lot of other ingredients to come to. A lot of other ingredients. You're right there. But what about Kerry Island, though? Uh, it's just adjacent to Westport. I had a look at the map. Mm-hmm. Are you concerned that there will be cannibalization since the government has given the green light to proceed with, I think, targeted completion by twenty sixty? So um, I think the way that they've presented it to date mm. um, is that at some point they believe we will be full as well. Okay. Right. And what they've presented as well is that um, the focus on carry to in the earlier stages will be bulk cargo, which we don't have space for. So a lot of Westport store, in fact, all of Westport store expansion is all container only. Mm. Right. We have no we have no space for bulk because that's the primary this one. But at some point, our bulk will be full as well. So, for example, liquid bulk, we literally have no space left. Um, for other kinds of dry bulk, we do, but for liquid ones, we don't. So, you know, uh, so if you, to say that, you know, you can't expand, I think is wrong because I think you need some space for, for, for liquid. Mm. Are you going to be participating? Um, because so, the Port Klang Authority has apparently identified several potential players and talks are like even the existing port players will be asked so we will want to see the feasibility study that was done. I think that's very crucial for us to understand that part because we don't we don't have uh, visibility on that. Mm. Uh, and and what the idea is there because it is I think going to be challenging. And so we need to understand how um, that how, how the feasibility study was done and and how do they think it's feasible. Um, so that's one of the things that we were looking out for. Um, and but you're not opposed to the idea. I think it's going to be a while from now, so we have to see how it is. Okay. And I think we have a lot on our plate, so I think we want to focus on what we have on our plate. But but I'm not ruling out anything, but, but I need, I, we need to see the numbers first, I think, to see whether it makes sense. And what's on your plate is clearly Westports too, right? Yes. So I, I, can I get an update? Because cabinet approval has been obtained, but how soon will we see this elusive concession agreement? So um, I'm hoping, you know, so I, so I think for the... From, from the beginning of this year, mm. um, since the since it was announced in West Malaysia um, by, by the minister that we signed you know, this year, I've been saying we hope to sign it by this year. And I'm still saying that I hope to be signed <laughs> by this year. And, You're and, running out of time though, Ruben. I know. And, and, but, but I think by saying I'm, I'm still hopeful, I think I'm giving an indication that I think we're almost there. So, okay. so I think we hope to sign sometime in December. Uh, clearly, November only has two more days, so it's yes. not, not so likely. But I think in December we have um, we have enough time to try and complete what we need to complete, and hopefully we can get something signed in December. Can I assume that the terms of this concession will not be as generous as that for Westport One? I mean, what are the IRR internal rate of return assumptions you've made? Uh, the, this concession is slightly different in many ways. I can't reveal the ways yet. Mm. Uh, we will be as soon as everything is is announced. Um, and therefore, uh, it, it was complex to negotiate because of the different kind of structure that it was, um, uh, especially involving the land. Right. So, mm. so this is where I think uh, we've come to a very fair 
well, I'm hoping we come to a very fair uh, landing on all points with the government. So, But in a nutshell, it won't be as good as Westport 1? Uh, I think in, in, in a nutshell, there are certain parts that will be and certain parts that won't be. Mm, okay. How much funding will you need for Westports 2? And so, what are the sources? No, there is one headline figure, which is $12.6 billion. Is that correct? That is the capex required to build the entire yeah. uh, project, right? Um, I mean that 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 figure is correct to the point of today. Mm. I mean, based on based on prices we can estimate today, that that number is pretty much uh, with what we think it will cost to build the entire project, which is over you know. Um, to twenty. Well, I can't reveal the date, <laughs> but um, but over the next how many decades we try to build it out, that is what uh, the cost will be to to develop the whole place. So does this then mean that a cash call is inevitable for shareholders of Westport? I mean, your gearing is low; it's only zero point one six times as of September. So, and but when you're yes. talking about twelve billion, definitely it sounds like it's going to be a combination of debt and equity financing. So as you said, uh, our, our current debt ratio is not very high. Um, we're probably going to upsize the Sukuk program we have as well. Mm. And um, at the same, so we're going to, I think, rely on that uh, for a bit. And then I think we, we what we're projecting, as I've mentioned to many analysts and, and investors, is that we probably need one um, one capital raise at some point. Um, not Not now. Uh, I think we estimate at least 12 to 18 months after the project starts. So that's when we might need a capital raise. So we can do it two ways. One is we, um, so the capital raise is required if you don't want to touch dividends, mm. right? So the other way of doing it is you reduce dividends for a period of time. Which you've only done once in your historical past. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's one of two ways. So, you, you know, you capital raise, the thing is everybody dilutes. Right. If you reduce dividends, then nobody has to dilute, but everybody has to take a short hit on a dividend for a period of time. So these are the two ways. Which and you haven't decided? Um, I, we don't have a, there's no rush to decide. And as I mentioned multiple times, uh, we're also very keen on looking at strategic investors, which we're still open to. Okay. Can you give us a snapshot of the scale of Westport 2? Because so, I'm trying to visualise this. How much larger is it in terms of your current capacity? Is it so, on the container capacity, is actually projected to be double the current capacity. And you need this, right? Because your current utilisation rate at Westport 1 is already quite high, right? Yes, it's just under 80%. So, and our, and our realistic utilisation level can only go up to about 90 Right, so so you know the idea is over the next three years, as we start to reclaim mm. and dredge and build, uh, we will hope, hopefully, I mean, the plan is to reach towards that 90% and then after that have some more capacity opened up and therefore the, the utilisation comes back down again and they start ramping up again. So On the breakfast grill this morning is Dato Ruben Ganiling, the Group Managing Director of Westports Holding. After the break, is the economic slowdown impacting their earnings? BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seat this morning is Dato' Ruben Ganilingam, Group Managing Director of Westports Holdings. Before the break, should Malaysia be worried about the regional competition from Vietnam, Jakarta and even the land bridge in Thailand? Ruben, time for an outlook. Westports, of course, dependent on global trade. Third quarter results were out earlier this month. It was a record volume for gateway container volume. But can this momentum continue with the global slowdown that we're seeing, especially coming from China, whose recovery has not been as robust as expected? I think 
I think China is actually recovering all right. I think people expected too much from the recovery. I think that's the problem, right? So I've personally, we we in in the, in the logistics sector, we knew we wouldn't <coughs> we would not have that kind of recovery mm. because you see, people assumed China was closed. Actually, they were not that close. Business was still continuing, right? Inside China was still mm. continuing as per normal, and they they were still producing for the world in most aspects. So from that perspective, when they say open up, like what exactly open up? If open up of China means more Chinese tourists going overseas. So I think that's the so everybody else will benefit, not so much China will benefit. So, so I think that's where a lot of people were misconceiving the idea. The the part now that um you know globally. I, mean, I don't want to bore people with economics, but globally, I'm, I'm concerned because interest rates are so high. And I think usually when it's that high, you know, at some point it leads to slowdown consumption. Yes. And at some point that leads to lower, um, it leads to higher unemployment. So, you know, typically these things uh, have an impact like that. But it hasn't happened. You know, I thought it would be happening earlier, but the unemployment hasn't actually happened in a very, very big way anywhere. So, you know, until unemployment happens, I think, um, you know, strangely, inflation is usually cut back down, unemployment starts going too high. Mm. And, and then these things have not matched either. It's a funny world out there, actually. Exactly. Everything yeah. you learn in economics 101 is like you can throw in the, you know, in the dustbin really because it, this doesn't apply anymore. So so I actually, for our outlook, I actually think we will have um, maybe not as, as high as our single-digit growth this year, but I still feel confident that we'll have single-digit growth next year. Unless that that prophecy of a recession actually comes true. Now, we already see some softness in Europe. We've been seeing that for a while. Yeah, I did see your, when I look at your third quarter numbers, Asia-Europe uh, routes were down. Yes. That was the only route that was really down, actually. Yeah, so so we, we already see softness in Europe, um, but there's strength in Asia, right? Mm. But if you also see, and, 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 and when it comes to North America, we see like mixed signals. It was soft, now it's getting stronger. So if 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 I mean uh, if um, United States and 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 the Americas don't go down so much, mm, so a soft landing is achieved as opposed to a hard landing. And I think then with Asia's strength, I think we can overcome all of this. So you're keeping because I see you giving guidance, single digit guidance for 2024 in terms of gateway and transshipment volume. So there's no change to that. Is it going to be a high single digit or is it going to be a low <laughs> single digit? We I think it's going to be. Well, I'm not not revealing that part because <laughs> we honestly don't know. I think that's that's the truth of it. Uh, but we think you know single digits like one to nine, right? That's a wide range, Ruben. Technically, it's zero to nine. <laughs> but um, but the, the, the the key thing there is, um, I, I think that we're giving a range because to be fair, we can't tell. And I think the danger in that in this whole. Um, Predicting part mm. is this potential recession, right? So I'm, I, I think, um, like many other fund managers, I'm tracking the savings number in the US because I think the unemployment hasn't happened because the savings number is very high. If the savings drops to a certain level where you know they can't consume anymore because there's no more savings, and then unemployment starts to creep up, I think that's when we have to be very careful. But at the same time, the US actually economy is actually growing faster than it's ever been for a while. So this is where it might the soft landing, as you say, might be there, and therefore we might not go into anything. So Europe on its own, I think the rest of the world can absorb. Uh, U.S. and Europe going into a recession, I think this is where it will have global impact. But at the same time, I did notice that shipping giant Merck, I mean, announced in their third quarter a sharp drop in profits. They cut. 10,000 jobs. They are battling with lower freight rates, subdued demand for container shipping. Do you not think that this is an indication of the challenging times ahead and this slowdown in global trade? I, so I, I want to understand, because I, I, don't, I don't know their labour policies, and yeah. etc., and, and their numbers. 
did they ramp up so much during the pandemic when the, the freight rates were very high? Because mm. if that so was, this is a, so if that was the case, then this is the effect of that. Um, the freight rates coming down, but the freight rates have not come down to below twenty nineteen levels, for example. So if these were people who they had in twenty nineteen, mm. then the cut back in 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 um, employment now, I think is more related. Is more related. So it's just to, normalized. You would think. No, I think it's more due to efficiencies. Okay. They might have gone automation, online, mm. etc. And and therefore, because um, as I said, I, I, if, if they have the same number of people in 2019, and your freight rates are back to 2019 levels, then what has actually changed? Right, nothing much has changed except for automation and digitalization, maybe. Mm. So let's talk about cost then on your front, right? So the last two years, I think it's tough for everybody. Inflation, mm-hmm. higher operating costs. We did see that from elevated fuel, energy, and even labor cost. So last quarter's EBITDA, those I noticed were at sixty one point eight percent. It's a recovery from fifty eight percent for the same period last year. I think a lot, thanks to lower fuel costs, which isn't really in your control. Yep. But do you think these margins are sustainable going forward? Should we look at this number as the new norm, sixty one point eight? I think we have to be very conscious with regards to that element of the fuel mm. and the energy part. I think that's going to be a bigger, bigger part going forward for us. Um, and then it won't just be fuel, it'll be electricity as well. As we try to be more sustainable, our only real solution going forward is electrifying. And therefore, we will be consuming more electricity going forward too. So we have to be very conscious of not just the um, the fuel price, okay. but also the electricity price. And I think you know one of the things that we're realizing is that electricity cost is probably going to increase um, yeah. faster than fuel price going forward. And that's why we have to be very careful because... As the world tries to become more green, as you try to go away from the cheapest form of um, electricity, which is coal, every other source of electricity is going to be more expensive. And therefore, the electricity price has to go up. So mm. so these are the two we have to be very careful about. And, and actually, our margins fluctuate purely because of the, these two elements. Um, electricity, I mean, electricity used to be a lot more stable. But of course, now it's, you know, uh, it's now almost like market rate, effectively. Yeah. Um, and then fuel, we've always paid market rate. So, so therefore... As they go up and down, you know, these will be affecting our margins. What about your push for tariff hikes? I mean, at one point you were pushing for it to be at least linked to inflation, isn't it? Yes. So, it, I mean, it's not that we push that it should be linked to inflation. Um, our arguments are strongest when there's high inflation. So, um, to be fair, we've been speaking to the Port Authority about um, uh, reviewing some of, of our, especially our conventional cargo tariffs. Because the last time that was reviewed was, uh, last time there was an increase there was in 2012. So a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so we've been speaking to them about that, and hopefully, um, we can get something through on those fronts, especially for the marine side, where the fuel price has actually been affecting the. So, the why is the government? It's down to the government, right? The Ministry of Transport. Why yes. is why are they reluctant to agree? They're not reluctant. I think we're we're going through the process of seeing all the stakeholders, understanding every, making sure everybody's aware, and making mm. sure that see they have to do their due diligence in in this process. Uh, I mean. As a citizen, I'm glad that they are doing their due diligence as well. So, so I think it's very fair. Um, but we've seen that, um, that that prices have come up a lot from inflation for many of our other parts. So, so I think they're considering it, but they have to go through the process. So. Okay, let's talk about share price. It closed at around three ringgit, 40, 50 cents. Actually, very close, actually down close to 9% on a year-to-date basis. Now, consensus price target among the 17 analysts that do cover Westport is... Three ringgit and eighty six cents, which only implies an upside of about eleven percent. Are they too conservative, Ruben, with their discounted cash flow models? So 
with regard, first and foremost, I have to declare up front that I do not manage the share price. That is not my job. It will never be part of my job scope and I have no intention of managing it. Uh, I can only comment on how it might be moving. Um, and and that, that also sometimes is based on my layman's view from what is happening. Now, with regards to how the analysts want to uh, review it, I think, again, I've never questioned what they would like to project. Uh, for us, we try to give as much information as possible to them mm. and let them come up with their own judgments. Um, uh, with regards to where I think we have uh, sometimes, my, again, my layman's opinion, is because we're very much dividend-related, uh, you have to look at the yield. Mm. And I think one of the key things with regards to yield is if you can now put into U.S. Treasury bonds and then 5.5%, um, you know, it's very hard to buy equity yeah. in a share. And your yield is less than that. And our, right? and, our yield is, and our yield is less than that, number one. And to buy into an equity which is ringgit Malaysia-based, where you don't know what the currency risk is either, so I think that's one of the key reasons. We've and there's a possibility of uh, a lower payout ratio if you decide to fund Westports 2 with your existing profits. Yes, isn't it? of course. So, so, so all of these things put together. But I think we have seen a very co- close correlation between interest rates and our share price. Mm. So I think it's very much inversely related. The higher the interest rates are, typically, um, you know, affects us because then the gap of the yield will be higher. So, so this is one of the key things. And I think the currency part, also, of course, doesn't help for foreign investors because. As a foreign investor, if you keep seeing the currency go down, like you know, you're, as, as good as it may be, you know, um, this is where it, you're affected. So, you know, for our GDP, you know, actually looks okay. But if you take our GDP in US dollar terms, I don't think it's actually that that great because we, we lose on the currency effect, right? So, but of course, from in Malaysia itself, it's actually fantastic. I think our, our growth rate is actually pretty decent. Mm. But but from a US dollar perspective, it's not. So when you're looking at a foreign investor, like you know, this is actually the, the currency risk. I think is also there. So for us, I think this is. One of the the factors we've seen, um, not so much uh, foreign investment as before. So, but if they now feel that we're turning around, currency wise, interest rate wise, and all those kind of things, I think. So it's nothing to do with the fundamentals of Westports. It's more external issues that are causing. I I, I don't see any other you know this one. Of course, the, I think the what many people want to understand, and I think this is where it's been very difficult for us too, is trying to explain more about Westport too. Yes. But of course, we've been, you know, um, very cl- closely keeping that in because for, 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 for very good reasons. We don't like to promise things we cannot deliver. And, and, and I've never believed in that. And therefore, I don't want to reveal anything until it's actually done. So I think once we have more transparency on that, which mm-hmm. we hope to hopefully next month, um, uh, then uh, I think you know that at least that part will be removed. I, I do understand investors' frustration that they don't understand what it's about, and yeah. I have been effectively stonewalling the answers to that because I don't want to reveal something which I cannot promise. On that note, thank you for your time today on the Breakfast Grill. Was Datuk Ruben Danalingam, Group Managing Director of Westports Holding. I'm Wong Shaoning, BFM eighty nine point nine. The BFM Breakfast Grill brought to you by U Mobile, Malaysia's number one five G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.